Psalm 23. Here's how I want to transition and get your mind prepared for Psalm 23. You've memorized it, most of you, some of you. uh, You know it. You know what we're talking about in Psalm 23. But let's set our minds in this way. Psalm 22, what's it about? Psalm 22 is the Psalm of the cross. Without the cross, we don't have the good shepherd. And so when we think about Psalm 23, and we think about how we're gonna look at these words as we're reading through this text, we can't forget the fact of where it's placed as we're reading through the Psalms that we have, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me before we can get to the point of the Lord is my shepherd. You're also gonna read through these six verses as we read them here in just a moment, and I want you to pay attention to the personal pronouns. Because a lot of the Psalms that we walk through, they're corporate Psalms. They talk about our, they talk about all of us together. And what you see in this Psalm is not corporate pronouns, you see personal pronouns. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You're gonna look through here and you're gonna see individual personal pronouns. And then you're also gonna see a switch because you see the writer talking about the Lord in the third person until we come to verse four. And even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, but why is it that I fear no evil? It's not because you're my shepherd, it's because you are with me. And that transition from that third person to that second person gives us an indicator that something is happening here. That in the writing of this, in the mind of the author, the author is going from, I'm telling you about my shepherd, to all of a sudden it turns and the focus is to the shepherd. You are with me, Lord. That's why I don't fear. So look at the action that's taking place in this. Lord, I don't fear because you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You are the one that prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You are the one that anoints my head with oil. And then he turns back into using the third person again. So as we read through this, let's not miss some of the details. Let's not miss the context here. As is our custom, if you're able, would you stand in the honor of the reading of God's word as we read the 23rd Psalm? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me, shall pursue me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Lord, we thank you that you are the good shepherd. Lord, we thank you that you as we celebrate this coming weekend, died on a cross for our sins and got up from the grave and conquered sin and conquered death. Lord, may you tie my words to this text. May this text come alive to us this morning. May it nourish and restore our souls. And Lord, may Jesus be exalted and glorified. In his name I pray, amen. And you may be seated.
All right, so if you're taking notes, here's your main idea of the text. And admittedly, the main idea of the text is too long this time, but I did not find a way to shorten it and make it any better. So here's, here's what I'm seeing in this text. See the goodness and mercy of the Lord. So I wanted both of those words in there. I mean, our sermon series has been talking about the Lord is good. So here in this text, it's the Lord, he's gonna pursue us with goodness and mercy. The word mercy is the word hesed. It's the loving kindness. It's that consistent love, his steadfast love that endures forever. It's right here in this text. That's what pursues us. The text says follows us, but really that word is more active than just follows us. It actually pursues us. And so in our text, we're gonna see the Lord leading us in the path of righteousness. And then when we get off the trail, the Lord is pursuing us to pull us back with grace and mercy. I felt like that had to be in the main idea. So see the goodness and mercy of the Lord in the protection and the provision of the good shepherd and the gracious host. That's what we see in our text. We see the Lord protects us. We see the Lord provides for us. We see the Lord as a shepherd in one analogy and as a host preparing a table before us in another analogy. So that gives us our two points of our outline. The first point that we'll walk through is the Lord as the good shepherd. That's verses one through four. Some have argued that this just continues the analogy and that the table that's set is the table that's, that's out in the field and it continues the shepherd analogy. Other, others have argued that this is a separate analogy that now it turns into a host. And so we'll break it down separately and talk about the Lord as the gracious host in verses five through six. So we begin in point number one, looking at the Lord as the good shepherd. So here's where we start, the Lord. So the Lord, sometimes when we think about the word Lord, we think about somebody who created everything, who is distant from us, who is away from us, but that word Lord is combined with the personal pronoun my and shepherd. A shepherd is somebody that's always around the sheep, that knows the sheep, that has named the sheep, that the sheep know the shepherd's voice as well, and they come when the shepherd calls, at least sometimes, and some sheep are also dumb. Now, how many of you have ever raised sheep? There's three of you in here. Maybe four. Huh. That's pretty interesting in and of itself. Listen, y'all, we're being, we're being compared to sheep here. Don't get offended, but sheep are dumb. Sheep are really dumb. And so to understand what's happening in this text, you almost have to take a time out and understand just how dumb sheep are so that you can understand what it means for Christ, for God to be the shepherd. And then we read this, we have to read this through a New Testament lens, knowing that Jesus is called the good shepherd and the chief shepherd. We have to understand that. And so we think about how dumb are sheep. Here's one thing. There's a, there's a book that's just on Psalm 23. It talks about sheep from a shepherd's perspective. And it talks about a sheep being cast. Do y'all know what it means for a sheep to be cast? It's when a sheep perhaps that's pregnant or that's too fat lays down in the field and is resting. And then perhaps it rolls over a little too far. And then all of a sudden it turns over and all of its feet are in the air and it can't do anything because it's stuck on its back. And if it lays there on its back long enough, then the sheep will die. Y'all think I'm playing. Well, then let's watch it. I've got a video for you. Look. Oh, what a pretty little dumb sheep. 
so, so what do you do? Let's go help it. Oh, it's going to kick me. Oh, what are you doing, sheep? Roll over. I had too much Chick-fil-A. I can't roll over. Oh, off we go. He rescued the sheep. Yeah, I don't know who that guy is. I have no clue. I just thought the video was illustrative of how dumb sheep can be. So what's a sheep without a shepherd? Dead. I mean, I, I don't, they don't make it, right? They don't, they have no protection. They, they don't know where to find food, where to get water, how to rest. They don't do any of that. In fact, sheep are really dumb. I've got another video that shows you why we need a shepherd and why we need to be led. Yeah, that's not a bright sheep. Oh, he's free. Good. Whoops. Yep. Here we go again. I'm going to make it. No. All right, y'all know what that is? That's us thinking we can live the Christian life in our own power. That's what that is, right? That's, and we all do it. So recognize right now, that sheep right there is us. When we think, oh, I can do this. I don't need to read my Bible. I don't need to ask the Holy Spirit to give me strength. I don't need to go to church and be around a community of believers. I got this thing. I can do, let's watch it again. This is what we look like <laughs> when we think we can do all of this without the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. I'm in a mess. Lord, get me out. I'll do anything if you get me out. Okay, good. Now I got this. Here we go. On my own. Yep. <laughs> okay. Do you see how bad sheep are? So this is what we're talking about when we say the Lord is my shepherd. Now, first of all, listen, unbelievers aren't sheep. Unbelievers are talked about as goats or wolves. So when we're talking about sheep and the shepherd here, that's what we're indicating. The Lord is my shepherd. And so then it's, there's a, there's a phrase here. Because the Lord is my shepherd, it says I shall not want. Now we're really good at wanting things. We have really long list of things we want. What this means is that we won't have any of our needs unmet. The shepherd's gonna meet the needs. What are the needs? The needs are for you to have food and for you to have water, for you to rest and do those type things. And so if the Lord is my shepherd, I'm not gonna want. He's gonna provide for my needs. And then in verse two, it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, there's some things I find interesting about this. The verb that's used is he makes me lie down in green pastures. Why didn't the writer say he provides me the opportunity to lie down in green pastures? He's my shepherd. He's gonna lead me. He's gonna restore me. But the verb here is that he makes me lie down in green pastures. I think part of that is because some of us, myself included, are not good at taking a break, taking a rest, making sure that we have good balance in life. And, and some of us in this room need to make sure that we are eating well, sleeping well, exercising well, 
Because when life gets out of balance and we're not doing those things, then things seem to be falling apart and everything causes more anxiety for us or stress for us because we don't have our life in balance and we're not living a good, healthy lifestyle. And all of a sudden, everything's falling apart and then it's a timeout. You you take Israel. They didn't observe the Sabbath. And so then they go into exile for all of the Sabbaths that they didn't observe. And you, you take us, and what happens is sometimes we run till we have absolutely nothing left in the tank, and then we get sick because the Lord's going to make us take a time out, whether we decided to take that time out or not, and we'd be much better off if we just lived our life in balance and got enough sleep at night, and four hours is not enough sleep for you to get at night. And Chick-fil-A milkshakes are not a balanced diet by themselves. I love them, but they're not a balanced diet by themselves. And so here I see makes, and maybe this is just me having confession time here, but I see he makes me lie down in green pastures is that every now and then the Lord's going to make you take a time out. And you're at the end of a semester. You're like, this is a wrong time to be telling us to take a break. Yeah, but you get Friday off. Yeah, it's good Friday. Celebrate Easter. What are you going to do? Sleep late. I don't know what you're going to do. Spend some time with the Lord. Maybe get some rest. How many of you are going home this weekend? A lot of you are going home this weekend. Get some rest. Spend some time with your parents. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Green pastures. They're not brown pastures. They're green pastures. And here's the thing about sheep. So I read this book. And in this book, oh, I've got the guy's name. I should tell you the guy's name. So then you can go look up the book. The, the guy that, that talks about this is Philip Keller. I wanted to say Philip Miller, but that's who spoke here not long ago. So Philip Keller. Here's the things that have to happen in order for a sheep to lie down in a green pasture. He can't have fear, or she, whatever the sheep is. Can't have fear. You can't be afraid if you're gonna lie down. Think about it. If you're gonna lie down and it's hard for you to get up, sometimes really hard for you to get up, then you're not gonna lie down with fear. You can't have friction. There can't be friction within the flock or you're not gonna lie down. There can't be a whole lot of flies or other things around you, or then you're not gonna relax. No flies, no parasites, just completely buzzing around you, ignoring you, and then you can't be hungry in order to lay down, so famine. So he identifies fear, friction, flies, and famine as the four things that you have to have satisfied before a sheep will lie down in a green pasture. So the shepherd has to provide all this, because if they don't, then the sheep will they'll end up just working themselves to death. And so the shepherd provides all these things for us as well. And then it says, he leads me beside the still waters. Now I'm no shepherd, but so this book says that a sheep will not drink from fast running water. It has to be still water. And so the shepherd sometimes will dam up a river or create something coming off the side of it to create some still water so that the sheep will actually sit and drink at the still water. So the Lord's gonna make us lie down in green pastures from time to time. He's gonna lead us beside the still water and then he restores my soul. So where do I go when I feel like my soul is just hurting and exhausted and tired? When I feel like my cup has been completely poured out and there's nothing left? I go to the one who restores my soul. I go back to the Lord because he's the one that can restore my soul. And then it says, he leads me in the path of righteousness. Now, what is a path of righteousness? There's two different views here. It's the things that are right, but it's also the well-worn path that leads somewhere. So how many of you have ever been walking on a trail, 
Maybe it's in a place you didn't know where you were going and you're, you're taking a trail and you get to a trail and all of a sudden it dead ends and now you've got to backtrack all the way back in order to head down a different trail to fi- try to figure out where you're going. Anybody ever had that experience? So the shepherd leads you on the path that go to the right destination. It's the path of righteousness. So sometimes we're frustrated because we're trying to control our own lives and we keep going the wrong directions and we keep butting up against dead ends and then we keep wondering, why is it that I hit a dead end and then I hit another dead end and then I hit another dead end, but the whole time we're not letting the shepherd lead us. We're just trying to do this thing in our own power and in our own wisdom and here we're being told that he leads us in the paths of righteousness. So when we get off the path and we're not doing what the Lord has told us to do, that's when that goodness and mercy is gonna pursue us to pull us back into the right path, into where the Lord wants us to be. He does this for his name's sake. And then it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Even though I walk through the valley, sheep frequently had to go through a valley a valley which is closed in where predators could be there. What does this phrase shadow of death mean? It could mean death. This verse, this, this chapter is often used at funerals. It could also just mean the absolute darkest times that you could encounter. It is a compound with a superlative force. It is a great sense of darkness and terror. It is extreme danger. It is the darkest valley Perhaps the very gates of death. You think about the gates of death. No one can walk you through those. All the rest must turn back. It's only the Lord that can lead us through those. And the Lord is there. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I find it interesting the phrase shadow of death. So what is a shadow? A shadow is those things when we're kids, we make those dogs with or whatever, right? Y'all know what a shadow is, right? So let me ask you a really deep intellectual question. Would you rather get hit by a bus or the shadow of a bus? Let me state it another way. Has the shadow of a dog ever bitten you? So what's our writer doing here when he says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death? I I don't know everything that's intended from this, but I think something we can take through this is that the fact that we know on this side of a cross that Jesus has gone to the grave and he has conquered death and he has risen from the grave, that friends, death is not the destination Death is simply the porch on the way into the house. Death is simply the pathway to get us to the ultimate destination, that we don't live for this life, we live for the next life, and that as believers in Christ who know that we have repented of our sins and put our faith and trust in Christ, now this only counts if he is your shepherd, it only counts if you are a follower of Christ, but as a follower of Christ, we don't have to fear death. We don't have to fear what happens in this life because we understand that there is something afterwards and because Jesus got up from the grave, we're gonna get up from the grave and we're gonna spend forever with him. It's the shadow of death. I will fear no evil. Friends, you don't have to fear anything in this life. If you are there with God, you don't have to fear it. 
Now, now let's call a timeout and let's ask ourselves the question, is he your shepherd? Because if he is not your shepherd, if you have never truly repented of your sins and put your faith and trust in Christ, then I see why you would fear evil. You can't overcome evil by yourself. These are powerful things that we're talking about. You read through the New Testament and you look at this, every time Jesus shows up, demonic forces show up too. In the Gospels, you see all of these things taking place together. And so friends, unless the Lord is your shepherd, you have a right to fear evil. You have a right then to fear death. But if the Lord is my shepherd, if the Lord is my king, then I have no reason to fear anything, no reason to fear death. And here it says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now this is interesting because the rod is used for protection. The staff is used for guiding. And so that rod can also be used for, or that staff can be used for reprimanding. But here writing as the good shepherd, writing to the one who is his shepherd, he says, they comfort me. The fact that you have a defensive mechanism and the fact that you have a staff that you lean on, it comforts me that you have this. All right, this has absolutely nothing to do with the sermon, but I was thinking about the staff this morning. And so I thought about Yoda. So I wore my Yoda socks. So I actually have on Yoda socks today. So there's one person that likes that. Thank you. Your rod and your staff, they're with me and they comfort me. Friends, I hope you're able to see the goodness and the mercy of the Lord in the fact that the Lord is the good shepherd. Here we come to verses five and six and we see the Lord as the gracious host. It transitions. He's still using the word you. You are with me. It's your rod, it's your staff. They comfort me. Now we look at the gracious host and he says, you prepare a table before me. Now, friends, we know he's talking about the shepherd. We know he's talking about the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. So now all of a sudden he's saying the Lord is preparing a table before us. Think about this. Think about the implications of this. Why would the Lord prepare a table for me? A wretch who has sinned and has rebelled against my creator and yet God is so good and so gracious and so merciful that he's gonna prepare a table before me and he's gonna do it in the presence of my enemies. The analogy here is that you're having a public ceremony and there's this big table and your enemies are even present but you have no reason to fear because the Lord is there with you and the enemies are powerless to do anything against you. They're right there in front of you but they can take no vengeance because the Lord has prepared the table and they have no power against the Lord. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. We're being exalted above those who are our enemies. And here he says, you anoint my head with oil. Now we don't do this very much in this time, but that would have been a soothing. That could have been the anointing of David being exalted to the king in sheep, you would anoint their heads with oil to keep the flies off of them to make sure that they're good or that they're healthy. This is, this is an elaborate feast. This is, not, this is not Taco Bell. This is not a fast food drive-through feast that has been prepared. This is elaborate. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. I have more than I need because the Lord is a gracious host. And then verse six tells us, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Now the word surely in this text could also mean only. 
Goodness, the Lord is good. Mercy, his loving kindness. Shall follow me, that word follow is probably more active, could be looked at as pursues me. So when I don't follow, the Lord pursues me. Or that 99 and one comes to mind, that one sheep that is lost and the Lord goes and pursues the one sheep to bring the one sheep back. That one wayward son is pursued with goodness and mercy and brought back to the loving father. All of those analogies, all of those stories come to mind as the goodness and mercy pursues me. When I stray, the Lord is there to pursue me and maybe you are in a spot right now where you say, I've strayed. I'm not where I need to be. The goodness and mercy of the Lord is pursuing you, friend, to say, come back to me. Repent and come back to the Lord. The Father is waiting. Goodness and mercy shall pursue me, shall follow me all the days of my life. You see the focus here on all of his earthly days and perhaps all of eternity as he says, all the days of my life and ends with forever. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, what is the house of the Lord? We immediately think temple. Perhaps it's talking about the temple, perhaps not, because people didn't actually dwell in the temple. And so, friends, what we can take from this is that we are gonna be with the Lord. We are gonna be in his presence. We are gonna be dwelling with the Lord forever. There's gonna be no more death, no more sorrow, no more sickness, no more pain, no more tears, no more cancer, no more evil, no more temptation. One day, we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So what's your application of this text? I've got a few things here. Number one, I think the application is, is the Lord your shepherd? And friends, Anytime we have this many people gathered on a campus, even though you have a profession of faith on an application, it doesn't mean the Lord is your shepherd. And friends, we know that there are those who walk amongst us. They, there are those that come to chapel, they go to class, they, they participate in all the things. Your friends, you know, I don't know them, you know them. You know the Lord is not their shepherd. So what is our obligation? We share the gospel. We minister. We love on them. We pray for them. We take intentional opportunities to make sure that we are sharing and caring with those around us. It's not just in sharing the gospel. But friends, as followers of Christ, as those who, as Philippians 2 say, look out for the interest of others, not just our own interest, for those who know that the great commandments to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength in the second is likened to it, to love another as yourself. Friends, we need to be those who have eyes to see. We need to be those who have compassion. When we see somebody sitting alone, we can stop and ask them, are you okay? Can I pray for you? When we see somebody eating alone or walking alone, friends, we should be the ones that go up to them and say, hey, can I join you? You're too often, it's too easy for us to have our friends 
and to look at others that aren't part of that friend group and to say, I'm good, I got my friends, I, I know who I'm hanging out with, without truly considering others that may be looking for a friend group so that they could hang out with them, or somebody who may be going through a really bad situation or something may have just happened, and we can reach out and be the hands and feet of Jesus and love on them with compassion and pray for them and care for them and say a kind word to them. Friends, it costs us nothing to be encouraging to other people, to be kind to other people. So I encourage all of us as we walk through life to look out with eyes, develop those, those characteristics and those habits even now that we look out on our campus and we minister and love to all of those people. That is an authentic, genuine Christian community. Practice it here. And when you leave this place, get involved in a local church and practice it there. Make sure that you are loving others well. Second question for you. If the Lord is your shepherd, then friends, take comfort because he is with you. I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You know, you don't have to impress God to be accepted. We're sheep. What do we do? We jump in the ditch. And then God pulls us out of the ditch and we jump back in the ditch. And God pulls us out of the ditch and we jump back in the ditch. And God pulls us out of the ditch and we jump back in the ditch. Friends, the Christian life is a life that we can't live in our own power. And so we stumble Lord willing, we stumble forward. Asking for repentance from the Lord, asking for a spirit to empower us, locking arms with others, not letting anyone fall behind, but moving forward in a long walk in the same direction to pursue holiness and sanctification before a righteous God. So if you're in the room and you're trying to please God with how smart you are, with how many talents you have, with anything else that the Lord has given you, just stop. You don't have anything you can offer the Lord that he doesn't already have. He doesn't need anything you have other than your repentance and your faith in him to serve him as a faithful steward. You don't bear the pressure of having to be perfect because you can't be perfect. You get goodness and mercy and grace and that's a far happier life than trying to be perfect. So friends, this morning, he's the good shepherd. He's the gracious host. Take joy in the goodness and the mercy that is extended to all of us. And you walk through those valleys and you see those shadows. Remember that God is faithful and you can trust him. Friends, you are loved by us, and more importantly, by God. You are known completely, and you are loved unconditionally by the Good Shepherd. Dear Lord, would you help us to serve you well, to be honest with who we are, to seek you well, so that we could be faithful stewards to live for you well, not for our glory, but for yours. 
We praise you and thank you for you are a good and gracious God and you are king over all. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And you are dismissed.